Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey guys, hello and welcome to Trash Talk with TK. I am your host, TK Tom Kelly, on the second day of the NFL's legal tampering period and i am so fired up right now i can already cannot wait for football season because deshaun jackson jackpot himself is back with the eagles i'm sorry but if you don't love this move if you don't think this is exactly exactly what the Philadelphia Eagles needed, you have no idea what you're looking at. This is such a great addition. This is the perfect addition. The perfect addition to this Eagles offense. When you look back at last season and the struggles this team had offensively throughout the course of the year when Carson was a quarterback And, you know, even into the playoffs a little bit, you saw the offense scuffle um, in those two postseason games, despite the fact that Nick Foles played at a pretty high level at the end of the regular season, and certainly at the end of the Bears game, certain stretches, he played pretty well. But this offense had limitations, and so many of those limitations were born out of the fact that they had no legit threat to stretch the field. They didn't have that burner who could open things up for the rest of the offense. That's why you saw both quarterbacks so reliant on Zach Ertz, so reliant on Alshon Jeffrey, so, you know, reliant, the coaches, so reliant on that short kind of dink and dunk passing game. You didn't see the massive chunk plays, the plays down the field from this offense that we're accustomed to seeing that we saw in 2017 when Carson Wentz was playing at an MVP level. And you see, losing a guy like Torrey Smith and a guy like Mac Hollins, who was out all year last year, you know, those guys, while not being incredibly productive in 2017 from a numbers standpoint, from a catches or yards standpoint, what they provided to you was an invaluable service that the Eagles didn't have last year. And that was a guy who could get down the field, make a team stay at home and open things up for everybody else. And a guy who you could complete the ball to down the field deep. And the bottom line is last year, that was an element of this Eagles offense that was sorely missing. And killed this team. And when I think back last year at the trade deadline, I was pounding the table for the Eagles to go out and trade for Deshaun Jackson then. I think they tried. I think this pretty much, you know, the fact that they go and get Deshaun now, I think pretty much guarantees that they did try. And I think at the time, Tampa Bay just wasn't in a 
situation where they were going to trade. You know, because at the time you had a GM and a head coach that were trying to save their jobs. Obviously, they wanted to win as many games as possible to try to do so. But now, after the season, the Bucs go into kind of a rebuild. They hire Bruce Arians, kind of restarting a little bit. And the Eagles go out and get the Sean Jackson, which is exactly what they needed. And that's why I wanted Deshaun last year at the deadline, because he was what you needed. He was what your offense was lacking. And I was, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything here, but I said it at the time when everybody's so excited about Golden Tate, I wasn't nearly as excited as everybody else was about the Golden Tate trade. Because Golden Tate, in my mind, was a duplicate of Nelson Aguilar. Golden Tate was a slot guy. Golden Tate was a a catch underneath, run after the catch guy. He was not a down-the-field burner, which is what you needed. You didn't need another guy like Golden Tate. And that's why when Golden Tate came in here, it took a long time for him to get integrated into the offense. And Golden Tate never truly made the impact that people expected him to make because the, the role just wasn't right. The fact is... Nelson Aguilar was, I thought, better suited for that slot role than Golden Tate. And you move Aguilar outside, then you end up kind of playing him out of position, even though I thought Aguilar did okay. He hit a big play in that Houston game and can get down the field a little bit. But we saw in 2017, Nelson Aguilar is best suited in The NFL, to be an inside slot guy, that's where he's had his most success. And when you brought in Golden Tate, it kind of took Aguilar out of that spot and didn't really fill a need. Like, yeah, you got a receiver. Everybody knew the Eagles needed a receiver, but you didn't need that kind of receiver. You needed this kind of receiver. You needed a Deshaun Jackson. You needed a game-breaker. A guy who could get down the field, change the game on one play. You know, he may only catch three balls, but those three balls might be for 90-plus and a touchdown. And he makes a significant impact on the game. We saw it when he was here the first six years of his career. Seven years, rather. Seven years of his career here in Philadelphia. And, you know, as much as people talk about the age factor, you know, if you watch Deshaun Jackson play, if you've watched Deshaun Jackson play in recent years, this isn't a guy who's lost a lot. It's really not. I mean, Deshaun Jackson has not lost a lot in terms of physical ability. He can still get down the field. The way he used to. We saw it when the Eagles played Tampa last year. First play of the game. Uh, Deshaun toasts Jalen Mills and Malcolm Jenkins for a touchdown. And opens the game up and the Eagles are, are behind the eight ball. And Deshaun still led the league last year in yards per reception. He is still that same kind of dynamic that he was when he was here. And he's exactly what this team needed. And I don't I don't want to hear people talk about, you know, 
a bad attitude, bad teammate. First of all, I think that's overblown. I think that was always overblown. I can't remember many instances when Deshaun was here that he caused problems. I remember in 2011, there was an issue where I think he missed a practice or something, and he was benched for a game against the Cardinals. Um, But other than that, I don't remember him being this awful teammate. I don't remember him being this locker room cancer. I remember a guy in 2013 who, because of his presence, just his presence alone, and the fact that he could stretch the field the way he could, opened up room for LaShawn McCoy to have a career year in Trip Kelly's first year, and for Riley Cooper to actually have a career year. Riley Cooper was actually a productive and and legitimate starting wide receiver in 2013 because Deshaun Jackson was playing on the other side of the field. Think about that kind of impact. Riley Cooper stinks. Deshaun Jackson you know, made him legitimate. And you saw after the Eagles let him go, they never replaced him. Jeremy, Jeremy Macklin had a good year in 2014, but he wasn't that same kind of threat. And you saw its effect on the running game in Chip Kelly's system. They were never the same after letting Deshaun go in 2013. And he is still such a dynamic player. And he will fit perfectly in this offense. I can't wait to see Carson Wentz this year with that kind of speed threat on the outside. It'll open things up. I mean, the potential of this offense, if you do hold on to Nelson Aguilar, which it appears the Eagles will, I hope they do. I think he could get back to the 2017 Nelson Aguilar in the slot, his natural position. It'll open things up for Alshon on the other side. Ertz and Goddard will get so much room underneath. We thought Zach Ertz had a great year this year. His year could be, you know, just as good, if not better, next year with a guy like Deshaun Jackson. It'll open things up in the running game. And it's it's a great move. It is. It's a great move by Howie Roseman. Tremendous job. Howie Roseman, it's his time of year. And he's off to a great start. The other move, Malik Jackson, a really good defensive tackle, uh, cut by Jacksonville. It signed a big contract two years ago. Uh, they wanted to get out of the rest of that deal. So he gets cut. He comes in. He will play the other defensive tackle position next to Fletcher Cox. And you talk about having two monsters in the middle now. I mean, what a great move there. A tremendous fit. He's an upgrade over Tim Jernigan, and I like Tim Jernigan, but you could not rely on Tim Jernigan to stay healthy. You know, he had the back issues. They plagued him the last couple years. Last year pretty much kept him out all season and got him back at the end of the year, but he was in and out of the lineup. Couldn't count on him for a ton of snaps. Malik Jackson, you're getting a guy who's going to come in. He's going to play a lot of snaps. And, you know, he's going to go a long way to stopping the run on first and second down. Um, I don't know a ton as much about him as a pass rusher. Um, he won't need to pay it, play every pass rush situation because the Eagles do like to play three ends and move one of them uh, into the inside. 
Um, with Michael Bennett, they could do that a little less this year. That remains to be seen. But I love that move too. I mean, a pretty pretty hefty price. Ten million per over three years. I mean, Thirty million, so ten million the average. I don't know if it's actually ten million base in the first year. Knowing the way how he likes to backload deals, probably more of a signing bonus and counts, you know, less against the cap. But I love the Malik Jackson move as well. I do. I think he's really going to help the defense. Another area of need. You really needed that guy next to Fletcher Cox to take some attention away from him. Because Fletcher Cox, when you don't have that guy, when you don't have another, you know, legit threat inside, it, it just allows teams to 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 double team Fletcher Cox and commit so much attention to him. You need that other guy who can you know, make it more difficult on defenses to do that. That if you do double Fletcher, you know, Malik Jackson's going to be left one-on-one now. He should be able to eat. And it solidifies this defensive line. Eagles still need to add D-line depth. I like the starting line now, clearly with Bennett gone, will be Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett on the ends, Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson in the middle, and then you need to find rotational guys. I don't know if Chris Long will be back on the outside. Um, some of these young D tackles, Trayvon Hester, maybe he can step up. But the Eagles certainly need to address D-line more. I think they'll do so in the draft. Um, the other move was bringing Jason Peters back. I'm not as enthusiastic about that. I'm not. I, I just, I'm kind, I was kind of ready for the Jason Peters saga to be over. Love Jason Peters. Hall of Fame player. Uh, all-time great Eagle, but at this point in his career, the injury issues, the always pulling himself out of games, I just, I, I, I would rather have a guy over there that you can rely on to be there every week. And, you know, Halapuli Vadi Vaitai, I don't love him as a player, but I think he's serviceable. Like, and I don't think he's your long-term answer there, but say you draft a tackle in the first round and you need to get through a year with Vitae or you're waiting on Jordan Mulata to, to get ready to go, I think maybe Vitae could have filled that role. And you saw in 2017, the Super Bowl year, after Peters went out, when Vitae was expecting to play every week and was getting those reps, he was pretty good. I mean, Vitae really was not bad that year. So. I really, you know, I was ready ready to move on from Jason Peters, but he's back. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Hopefully he can play at a high level. When he was healthy, he played okay last year. I mean, he went through a rough stretch kind of early to middle of the year, but by the end of the year, Jason Peters was playing pretty well. So hopefully he can, he can you know, do a nice job at left tackle. Hopefully he'll be on the field. But overall, I think a good good start to free agency for Howie Rosen. Um, Malik Jackson, good move on defense. And Deshaun Jackson, man, what a tremendous move. I'm so happy he's back. So happy he's back. We'll see what's up next, Eagles. Uh, I'd expect them to sign a running back. I don't, I'm not as big on the Le'Veon Bell stuff as a lot of people are. That's a lot of, I, I'm, I'm of the, you know, 
of the mindset, I just wouldn't commit a ton of resources to running back. I just, I would rather, you know, spend less there, build through the draft there. You know, I don't think paying a ton of money to a running back, it doesn't normally work out. It doesn't. These guys go quickly. You know, things can, the wheels can fall off for a running back very quickly. And while Le'Veon Bell would make this team, I mean, unbelievably, unbelievably talented and dynamic offensively, I'd rather go a different route. I think, you know, a Mark Ingram is a guy who would fit well, and he'd be part of a committee. He'd probably be the lead guy in a committee. You know, you have Corey Clement coming back. I don't know if Darren Sproles is going to be back. He's another guy I'd probably move on from. But Sproles looked good once he got healthy at the end of last year, so I wouldn't be terribly upset if they brought him back. Um, you know, Smallwood, all these guys are in the mix. I think Josh Adams is out. I don't think Josh Adams can, can play in this league. Um, I just don't think he has the talent. But it's it's a good start. It's a good start. Jordan Hicks, right before I started the podcast, signing with the Cardinals, couldn't bring him back. Um you know, too injury prone, couldn't commit, you know, a lot of guaranteed money to a guy. You don't know who's going to be on the field. You just don't don't have that reliability factor with Jordan Hicks. So the Eagles have hold a full linebacker, see if they do anything at corner. I actually think they're 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 kind of okay with what they got at corner, these young corners. If you get Jalen Mills back, get Sidney Jones back. And you don't know what you have in Sidney Jones at all, but um, hopefully he can play. I mean, you got Avanti Maddox, Rasul Douglas. I would not bring back Ronald Darby. But um, a good start to the offseason. Good start to the offseason. We will see what's next from Howie Roseman. I would like Mark Ingram. Um, Wouldn't be upset if they got Le'Veon Bell. I just do not want to commit a ton of guaranteed money to a running back especially a guy who sat out all last year. Um, Who knows where his conditioning is at this point. Now, I do want to talk about the Sixers and their stretch run after Joel Embiid's return on Sunday. But real quick, I want to address this Russell Westbrook situation. Russell Westbrook, another unfortunate incident last night with fans in Utah. It was ugly. Um, A fan apparently was was yelling some really disrespectful, ugly things at Westbrook. And Westbrook returned fire, if you will, saying he'd bleep that person up and and bleep his wife up as well, which is reprehensible. I mean, the bottom line about this kind of situation is both sides are unbelievably wrong. And... I know that that you know in this type of culture uh this kind of you know take culture if you will that we live in today it's it's always pick a side pick a side you can't pick a side in this kind of fight now there are uh, there are a lot of fingers to be pointed here and a lot of things that need to change bottom line i mean first of all from the perspective of the fan I'm all for, you know, you can heckle players. You can boo players. You can yell stuff in good-natured fun. I, that That's, you know, 
I don't think that's a big deal. That's been going on forever. But in no way, in no arena, is it acceptable for a guy to yell the disrespectful things that this guy apparently yelled at Russell Westbrook? Seriously. I mean, you can look the comments up for yourself, but it, it was it was pretty bad. It was pretty ugly. And that guy should be ejected. And that guy should not be allowed back. Bottom line. Bottom line. Fans cannot yell those kind of things at players. It's just not right. And the players do need to be protected to an extent. They need to be. I mean, you can boo, you can yell good-natured things, but when it comes when it becomes disrespectful and it involves players' families and things like that, that's not right. And that should not be allowed. And the the in staff, the, the staff in arenas needs to do a better job of making sure that stuff doesn't happen. Bottom line. It cannot happen. That guy should be banned. Now, what Russell Westbrook did is not right either. You cannot yell back threatening a fan. Sir, I mean, threatening a fan, threatening his wife. That's, it's disgraceful. And we know Russell Westbrook is a guy who has a short fuse. He has a temper. That's no excuse either. You know, I understand that these guys can be frustrated with fans, frustrated with what they're being called and and things like that, and that is where um, the arena staff needs to do a better job. But the players can't, can't yell back like that. You can't yell back threatening fans, and I just worry that we are getting close to a really unfortunate incident happening. We've seen this. Recently, we've seen it a couple times with Westbrook in Utah. Apparently, the Utah fans are, you know, are overzealous. They go over the top, especially when it comes to Westbrook. He's had a couple issues there. Um, and you've just seen these instances recently. And you think back to the malice in the palace and some of these issues where fans have gotten into it with players, and it just feels like we're approaching a really ugly situation here. And I think the leagues need to do a better job of enforcing the fan code of conduct, not allowing these players to be yelling reprehensible things at athletes. But at the same time, the teams need to communicate and the leagues need to communicate that players can't be yelling back threats at fans either. And both sides are in the wrong. But it needs to be fixed, and it needs to be handled on both sides, or else I think we're we're coming to the point where it's going to be an unfortunate incident. And I was not, um, you know, not happy to see that last night. You never want to see that. But uh, as we talk about the Sixers here to close out the podcast, Sixers get a big win on Sunday as they beat the Pacers and Joel Embiid's return, and it's amazing. How big a difference this guy makes for this team. I mean, you could just tell Joel Embiid changes everything about the 76ers. Without him, they're not competitive. Without him, they are just an average team. They're just another team. You know, they were 4-4 four and four without him after the break. Um, half those games against teams that aren't very good. I mean, you look at the Heat, Pelicans, Bulls, who you lost to, Magic. They're not good teams. 
And these are teams the Sixers were, were losing to. Or, or, you know, barely beating. But you got Joel Embiid back, and you saw the impact he made. He was very winded to start the game. You could tell he was kind of out of shape. The conditioning is not at the level where you'd like it to be. But, man, as the game went on, he started finding his legs, and he was tremendous in the second half. Got that finish, that end one, and it was fun to see. Goes plays to the crowd, starts yelling, I'm bleeping back. Which, you know, it was awesome. And if Joel Embiid is back and he's healthy, this team I still think is a contender in the East. They certainly wouldn't be my pick. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think I'd pick them in a series right now against Milwaukee, Toronto, or Boston. I mean, that's just the honest truth of it. They haven't shown the ability to beat any of those teams. I don't think it's impossible. Boston looks like a complete mess, but every time they play the Sixers, they beat them. Sixers get another crack at them next week, next Wednesday night. That'll be a big game. Um, I'm already I'm going out to Arizona uh, to the Grand Canyon with my wife from Saturday to Thursday. And I'm already planning around how I can watch that Sixers-Celtics game on Wednesday night because I, I, I want to check that one out. But... A big week coming up for the Sixers. They have the Celtics next week. They have the Bucks on Sunday afternoon in Milwaukee. That's going to be an interesting matchup. They haven't played. I feel like they haven't played the Bucks in a long time. They played them, I think, early in the year in Milwaukee. I don't believe the Sixers have played the Bucks since then. So We'll see how it all plays out here over the next couple of weeks. But having Joel Embiid and back is so Embiid back is so big for this team. He changes them not just offensively, but really defensively. Defensively is where Joel Embiid makes such an impact because teams just cannot come inside against them. You just can't. He's dominant. And uh Jimmy Butler is a guy who's going to need to step up as the Sixers move toward the, the stretch run here. Jimmy Butler, I think, has been a disappointment. At this point, I wouldn't re-sign him. I think you've got to wait until you make a determination on that. You can't make a determination on that until the season's said and done. You see how far you got. You see what Jimmy Butler did at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. But right now, he does not look like a max player to me. He looks uh, like a bit of a disappointment. Tobias Harris has been tremendous. Um, Tobias Harris, I think, fits very well here. I'd expect him to be back. But this team, I think they'll end up getting the third seed. They've jumped Indiana for now. They should beat out Indiana. Indiana's schedule over the next few weeks is absolutely brutal. I mean, you look at Indiana's schedule to close out the year. It's like Oklahoma City twice. I think Denver twice. Golden State. Houston. They're playing all the beasts out west. Um, I would be very surprised if they jump back in front of the Sixers at the end of the year. I think the Sixers will end up with the three seed. And then it looks like probably a matchup of either Brooklyn or Detroit. Two interesting teams. Detroit has played really well lately. Blake Griffin has had a great year. Um, Detroit's playing tremendous ball. I don't think they could beat the Sixers in a series. 
but they're playing well. Brooklyn's another scary team. D'Angelo Russell, another guy having a really good year for the Nets. But again, I don't think they're teams that threaten the Sixers. I think the Sixers' threats come after the first round. Second round, it looks like Sixers would have to play Toronto. I don't love that matchup. I just don't. You look at the Sixers versus Toronto this year. Sixers beat them once, and that was when Toronto was without Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, and Serge Ibaka. Every time Kawhi has played, Kawhi has really given Ben Simmons a ton of issues. And when you look at the Raptors' numbers, when Kawhi Leonard plays this year, they are one of the best teams in the, in the league. So I'm not extremely confident in that matchup. And I do have concerns about the Sixers. I do. I have concerns about whether they can beat those teams. And I do think Brett Brown is coaching for his job. If the Sixers do not, I think the minimum that he has to do to keep his job is be highly competitive in the second round. And that might not even be enough. Because Josh Harris made the comments about it being problematic if the Sixers don't advance further than it further than they advanced last year. Last year they advanced to the second round. I think if you get in the second round, you lose to Toronto in seven, Kawhi's just otherworldly, then I think that's probably enough to, to maintain the job. But I'm not sure. And I do think Brett Brown needs to needs to demonstrate the ability to make adjustments in game and to, you know, not just not lose games for your team, but really win games for your team. Like make those adjustments late that are looked at as, as key moves that helped your team win. He doesn't seem like a great in-game adjuster. And whenever he goes up against better coaches, you know, it shows. You see when the Sixers play the Celtics, Brad Stevens gets Brett Brown every time, every single time. And this is a critical couple weeks for the Sixers, critical couple weeks for Brett Brown and his job security going forward. Um, Because, hey, if they get to the second round, it looks a lot like it looked like last year, and the Sixers go out in four and five. I like Brett Brown, but I think then he's probably gone. So critical couple weeks, Joel Embiid being back totally changes things, and the Sixers are a contender, but they need to demonstrate over these next couple weeks couple weeks here they can beat some of the better teams in the Eastern Conference got the Celtics a few times got the Bucks a few times Sixers need to get the job done against those teams to get confident going into the playoffs and that'll do it for Trash Talk with TK I'm TK Tom Kelly thank you all for listening I'll talk to you guys next time see you okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.